well trimmed as it sometimes is. It's good to be here this morning and it's good to see all of you here this morning. I'm just getting myself organised here. This way I'll have this sort of uh, semblance illusion of, of some, some control and, and development over what's going on up here. Um, it's a funny thing how God turns up and uh, does things and says things and uh, changes the best laid of plans. <clears throat> you know, I was reflecting um, during the service and uh, God spoke to me earlier on during the worship and uh, just put something into my head that wasn't in my notes. Um, but uh, don't worry, I'm still going to be following my notes mostly. We're not going on all day because that, that can happen to me if I'm not following notes. It goes on for a long time. That's not going to happen. But I did want to begin with uh, um, bringing to your minds uh, a story, an image that I think most of you have, uh, have read about before. Because if you've spent any time in a, in a, in a church, and certainly if you've spent any time in a, in a kids' church or a Sunday school, at some stage, you would have come across this story. And it's uh, found in the Bible at Ezekiel chapter 37. It's the story of uh, Ezekiel and his valley of dry bones. And uh, you know, I'm not sure if it was a particular Sunday school I was part of as a child, but uh, that seemed to pop up fairly often, that story. It was just one of the favourites. And uh, the thing about these bones that um, Ezekiel saw in this vision was they weren't just dead. <laughs> they were seriously dead. <laughs> I know there are degrees of dead, right? Okay, there's dead bodies and there's no life in those. But these bones were beyond, they were beyond just dead. They were, they were, they'd been parching on the hills for months, all right? They were, they were seriously dead. The, 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 the scene, I guess, is something like the aftermath of a massive battle. And, and in those days, battle, I mean, battles these days are gruesome but you know in in those days they were you know I don't know if anyone's seen the movie Braveheart it's one of those movies from the 90s and uh, you know if you're as old as me you probably you know it was a big thing when you were a bit younger and uh, Mel Gibson plays a particularly um, loud and forthright Scottish uh, rebel um, who was rebelling against the King of England at the time and there's some battle scenes in that movie and they're fairly realistic. <laughs> there's our Celtic Scots with their blue painted faces and their big swords and there's lots of tomato sauce um, <laughs> flying around. Hey, you know, we, we, we go back to ancient Israel and, you know, they, it, was, it was something like that, the battle scenes. Okay, and so what we have in Ezekiel 37 is the aftermath of that some months later. Okay. The, 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 the vultures and the crows have come and had their feast. The bones are just left. They've been parching in the sun and these bodies are not just dead. They're, they're seriously dead. They've been dead and there's no hope. And of course, you, you probably remember that in the vision, um, Ezekiel has this conversation with God. And it's all about... God asks Ezekiel a $6 million question, which for him, in his context with his people, Israel in exile was a $6 million question, can these bones live? 
And for the prophet, these bones were really represented his people, Israel. That was the state they were in. They were seriously dead. They were defeated by the Babylonians. They were in exile. There was no hope for them. They were gone. And uh, God says to them, can these bones live? <laughs> and oh, Ezekiel was a wise man. He said, you know God. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the easy answer, isn't it, off to the side? Well, <laughs> you're asking me? No, you, you know. And of course it was the right answer. And you, you, if you've had any contact with this story, you know the end of it where God, he, he puts you know, the, the knee bones connected to the thigh bone, the thigh bone. You know how it goes. God breathes into the corpses and they become a living mighty army and that, that's a fantastic image of the restoration of the people of God but what strikes me about that story is the way God did it God did an amazing thing in that vision and God can and does do incredible things I can testify to incredible things that God's done in my life but what God did in this particular time he didn't just rock up to those bones and bring them back to life what God did do was that he said to Ezekiel, hey you, human being, you, you tell those bones to live. <laughs> I imagine the prophets going, hey, you're talking to me? You, you can make these bones live, God. But you, what, you, me tell these bones to live? But you see, that's the way God does things. God speaks to his people. God speaks to his, his church, his, his people Israel. God speaks to those who are called by his name and says to them, you do this. You go, you know, in the case of Ezekiel, you tell these bones to live. And he says to his people, you go. Matthew chapter 28, go, make disciples of all nations. Yeah. <laughs> We have today in the 21st century some idea of what a monumental task that is. There are some 14,000 people groups on this planet speaking some 7,000 different languages and we're not talking about dialects here. We're talking about mutually incomprehensible languages. More than 7,000 on this planet <laughs> spread over such a huge area. Make disciples of all nations, all people groups. Massive task. Something only God can pull off, frankly. And yet God says to his people, go make disciples of all nations. And yet, he does, as, as he did for Ezekiel. He didn't, he didn't just say, okay, Ezekiel, you tell his bones to live and then exits, you know, stage left. Ezekiel did what God told him to. He told the bones to live and God turned up and, and they lived. You, you, I think you know the story. But this kind of way that God does things, it's just part and parcel of the way he is. It's part of who he is. You know, theology is a funny thing. Because you, you, can, you can talk about God and you can talk about who God is and what God does and you can get into really sort of uh, it's a lot of philosophical and esoterical stuff and you can kind of spin the wheels a bit without the rubber hitting the road. See, there's two sides to theology. In one sense, we're all theologians. 
every single one of us. In fact, even those people who are not here this morning who are doing something else important on a Sunday morning or even those who are sound asleep at this point on a Sunday morning, they are all, and we are all, theologians. Just a statement, there is a God, is a profoundly theological statement. The statement, there is no God, is a theological statement. We're all theologians. And yet, on the other hand, if you do a lot of wheel spinning without the rubber ever hitting the road, there's not a whole lot of, a whole lot of point in doing the theology, is there? And I can assure you this morning um, <laughs> that there's a lot of rubber hitting the road when God says to Ezekiel, you tell these bones to live. There's a lot of rubber hitting the road in the early chapters of the book of Acts as God speaks to his church and as his church begins to live out what it means to be the people of God. There's a lot of rubber hitting the road. And (laughs) what I want to ask you this morning is, well, I want you to consider the various... The various reasons that people, people go to church or people become part of a church. Um, as, a, as, I look, um, as I look around, and not just in this church, I'm talking about generally speaking, um, churches I've been in as I observe our culture, um, I see people going to church for a lot of reasons or being part of a church for a lot of reasons. Um, some, uh, you know, there's... One thing that's very prevalent in our culture, all aspects of our culture, is our consumerism, right? We, we consume. We're, we, uh, we make decisions about what is best for us and we make decisions. We have a certain amount of money that comes to us and we make decisions about how we, we spend that, how we allocate it, whether we give some here, we buy this, we buy that. And a lot of our society, our culture, is geared towards consuming things, right? And businesses and, uh, I mean, and you think the way petrol prices goes up and down, you think that's just chance? I'm sorry, I'm very sceptical about that. It's all about, it's all about getting us to consume petrol at the most convenient price for those who sell it, frankly, okay? Um, I won't, if anyone wants to argue with me sometime later, okay, now's, now's not good time. But this, this is our culture. You know, there's, there's, there's just buying and selling and consuming going on all the time. And, and consequently, and quite naturally, we have this kind of mentality when it comes to our, our churches too because there is a lot of choice, isn't there? There's this community here. There's one just down the road. There's another one down the road that way. There's another one down the road that way, you know. And because we all have cars and we're used to our networks being not necessarily where we live and, and where we work, our networks being all over the place, we have... That's, again, part of our culture, isn't it? We all have networks, and most of us don't even know our neighbours, the physical ones, you know, where we actually live, because we have networks that are nothing to do with where we live, right? And so we'll drive quite some distance to go to church too sometimes, and that's, that's okay. That's, that's, that's the way we are. That's, that's, the, that's the context we live in. I'm not criticising that per se, okay? This is, just, this is just the way it is, right? And so people have this attitude... Two, we, we come and, and we choose a community that is best for us, okay? And that's the way we're thinking. Sometimes, however, God has something in mind which is a little bit different from what we have in mind. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember 
the year 1996 very well. I remember it for many reasons. In particular, I remember it because it was the year I was uh, with my family, such as it was at that time, at uh, Kangaroo Ground on the northeast uh, side of Melbourne at uh, the SIL centre there. And my wife and I were studying to uh, linguistics, anthropology, etc. as part of our, the process we were going through to join Wycliffe Bible Translators. And uh, Wycliffe had us in a, uh, in a glass bowl, so to speak. They could examine us very closely for a year and they, they deliberately made it hard, I think. You know, they put, it, put us under pressure and they wanted to see how we responded to that. So, and they had a very good idea of just who, they, who was applying to join their organisation. It was uh, quite, a, quite an entr entrance process, I guess. But I remember it also because we, went, we, we had never lived in Melbourne before. We didn't know anyone in Melbourne at that stage. And so we went to Melbourne for what we thought was a year. Okay? We're going there for a year. We're going to study. We need a church to go to. So we were thinking, okay, so what church do we go to? You know, we, we, need, to, uh, we need to find a church. So uh, what was foremost in my mind really was to find a back pew somewhere to sit on for a year. Okay, that was, that was my objective, all right, because I knew it was important for us to be part of a church community, especially as we prepared for Christian missionary work. We had to be tied in with a church community, and so I, I was looking for one, but... I, that was all I was looking for, okay? I wasn't looking for anything more than a back pew to sit on for a year. Well, the senior pastor of that church uh, didn't agree with me and um, we became very much involved in the life of that church and that church consequently, in fact, became our number one financial supporter <laughs> through our, our years of missionary work in, in Africa, which was quite, uh, quite amazing and quite ironic, actually, considering my attitude as I went to that place. I was looking to hide over there. And I'm not pointing at anybody here, okay? <laughs> we, we, uh, we, we were hiding. And it was a, it was a fairly good-sized church too. They had five or 600 there on a Sunday morning. So it was much easier to hide than it is in the, the 100 or so here this morning, okay? We could hide. Um, but we weren't allowed to. And we were involved in ministry and then we were actively supported by that church when we left to go overseas. So what God has in mind sometimes when we, we, begin, we join a church community, what he has in mind sometimes not quite what you have in mind. And we need to be open to what God has in mind as we, as we join church communities. I, I want to I spend a few minutes having a little bit of a tour through the first few chapters of, of Acts because there what we see is an example of a church community. The first one, in fact, a lot of people, when we're, we're asking the question, what is church and what should a church be and, and what should we do as a church, a lot of people go to these chapters of Acts because it's, it's the first church, it's the apostles. I mean, the apostles must have had it right, right? All right so well, let's look at what they did and we'll, we'll do the same. Now, that's great though we've got to be a bit cautious about that because they lived in first century Israel, not 21st century Australia. Okay, so some of the details of what they did are not going to be the same as the details of what we do, and that's, that's okay. We, we'll do it differently. We have different cultural attitudes. That's fantastic. No problem with that. But there will be some spiritual reality there which we've got to take on board, yeah? And we've got to be, got to be thinking about that spiritual reality 
and uh, asking ourselves, how does that reality, what does it look like in 21st century Australia? Okay, and uh, in asking the question, what is church? Um, my mind goes very quickly to a, a, one of the many books written by uh, Reverend Dr. Kevin Giles. Um, he's a, an Anglican scholar and uh, I find myself influenced by him, which is not surprising considering I had him as a teacher as both undergraduate and postgraduate levels. But Kevin wrote this book called What on Earth is the Church? That's a, a good title actually. Um, but he comes up with a in the bottom line, is to summarise his book like this, he, he said the church is community. That is the, that is the essence of church. Church is community. Um, my theology being what it is, I'd like to add an emphasis and say that we're a, a spirit-led community. Okay? Um, but, you know, that's, that's my emphasis. But let's have a look at what we find um, in the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And there's a very famous... Um, very famous passage, actually. And by the way, I've got I've got Pastor Gary's Bible here on the on the lectern. It was here when I got up here, which was very convenient because I didn't have one in my hand. Um, and in Acts two, from verse uh, forty-two, in Pastor Gary's Bible, there's actually quite a bit of highlighting and underlining of this particular this particular passage. And uh, I'm not surprised. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. <laughs> Yeah, there's such a lot there, isn't there? And some of it is uh, part of the spiritual reality I'm talking about. Some of it is part of the cultural trappings of, of first century Israel. But that picture that is painted there in those few verses is certainly one of community, fellowship together, isn't it? Eating together, meeting together, praying together, listening to the D dedicating themselves to the teaching of the apostles, okay? And all of this is focusing on them being together. They are a community. They are a fellowship together. And uh, we see that theme repeated all through the, these first few chapters, actually. I mean, there's some things in there. Uh, for example, they sold their possessions, okay? These guys were, were, were convinced that Jesus was coming back in a few days or a few weeks, maybe, Sometime very, very soon, okay? And so having a plot of land somewhere, really? I mean, in, in, in their minds, land is inheritance, okay? It's what you pass to the next generation. And these guys had in their head that there is no next generation. Jesus is coming back in a few weeks. Yeah, that was what they believed. And uh, so, you know, sold, sold that stuff and they had cash on hand to, to help out those who were poor and so on, right? and it was just the way they managed their resources at the time. Might have caused some problems later. Twenty years later, Paul's doing a, a collection for the, the church in Jerusalem, and we, we wonder if there's a connection there. There might not be, you know, but there might be too, okay? As they realised, hang on, there may well be a next generation. And uh, but this is not a bad way to live in one sense. And I'm not telling you to go out and sell everything. Don't don't get me wrong there. 
It's not what I'm saying that you should be doing. But what I am saying is these guys were living like Jesus is coming back next week or tomorrow. And that's not a bad way to be. And I don't mean that we should all go and live in the bush up on the other side of Mount Barker Summit and in a commune or whatever. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we need to have a think about the way we live. We need to have a think about what we're doing. We need to think about the relationships we have. We need to think about um, our attitudes and the way we use our, our time, our life, the way we relate to, to people and say, uh, is Jesus coming back? If he's coming back next week, would I change something? Yeah. Yeah, you bet it is. I've been, I've been sweating for the last three days since I started preparing this. It is a big challenge, isn't it? Yeah, Just to have a think about, well, if he was coming back next week, what would, I, what would I change? And I'm not talking about selling property or throwing out your plans for next year. I'm talking about the way you behave, the way you relate to people, the way your attitudes to life generally. And would they be different if you really believed that Jesus was coming back next week? And uh, that's, that's a challenge to... To go on with, I think. I'm, I'm not going to answer that this morning. You're not going to answer that this morning, okay? Sweat on that like I have for the last few days and am continuing to do, okay? And just see what God says to you about that. As we go through these chapters, what we see in chapter 3, we got Peter and John are off to the temple and they, they heal a guy at the gate and then they're criticised for preaching in the name of Jesus and they're brought before authorities um, they get back, they talk to the rest of the believers about this. The believers gather around and they pray. Okay? And what we see in Luke's writings, both his gospel and in, and in the book of Acts, is this emphasis on prayer. You know that Luke just keeps talking, Luke just keeps talking about prayer. Now Luke, Luke's writing history here in, in the book of Acts, but he's writing history for a purpose, history for a reason. He wants to get a message across. And this was a fairly common way of, of presenting theology in this culture. You, you told a story, you t- wrote history, you told the story of someone's life, but you told it in such a way that you really drove home a point, okay? The point you were trying to get across, the theology you were trying to get across. And what we see again and again and again in the book of Acts is that Luke talks about prayer. So, for example, in um, chapter 12, um, Peter's, uh, Peter's in jail and he's going to be executed. Old Herod, he, he uh, thought, well, I got pretty popular when I chopped James's head off. Now I'm going to do the same to Peter and win a few more friends. All right? And uh, you might remember the story. This, this angel pops up in the, in the prison. Um, the guards are mysteriously sound asleep. Peter's chains fall off and the angel says, follow me. And he walks out through the inner gate and he walks out through the outer gate. No one stops him. The gates are somehow just open. Okay, And... Wonderful, miraculous story, but the punchline of the story, the whole point of the story is something that Luke tells us three times in that chapter. And one of them, for example, is he gets to the house, to, to Mark's house after he gets out of prison, where Luke says the church had gathered and were praying for Peter. Okay? And this is about one of those just the three times in that story. Luke keeps saying the church were praying for Peter. The church were praying for Peter. And so that's just one example of the way Luke hammers home this idea of prayer. And again here in chapter 4, you know, Peter and John have just been before the Sanhedrin. They've spent the night in jail, well, half a night in jail. Um, and then they, 
they get back to the believers and the believers gather around and they pray. And this is an important part of the, the community that the church is. I guess... Yeah, look, I, I said our, our context is different in 21st century Australia. Sure it is. But some of these spiritual realities manifest one way or another in our lives too. And if we're going to talk about the church being a, a spirit-led community, there's a couple of halves there to that statement that are really important. One is spirit-led, okay? And I'm not going to talk much about that this morning because I, I reckon we're going to go there over the next few weeks, okay? What does it mean? to be spirit-led what does it mean what does it mean we say what does it mean we do okay what's where do our lives go what how do we how do we apply ourselves under those that context but what i do want to spend a bit of time this morning on is community and what community means because i know over the years i myself have been guilty of not treating the church i go to like a community oh i've Treat it like, that's well, kind of a community, but a community I don't have much to do with yeah, in various places at various times because I've been very busy doing other things and I've been involved in other communities at the same time and here I am with ten fingers in ten different pies and there's not much time left for this community. And so I want to ask the question, what does it mean to be a spirit-led community? What does... I mean, we're all part of communities, right? We, we, we are, we're part of a community where we live, although in our modern 21st century Australian culture, many people actually are not part of the community they live in. They don't know their neighbours. They don't know the people in their street. It was uh, certainly a revelation to me, not so much to, to Joy. You know, we've had a couple of Australia Day barbecues at our place and, and invited people in our street. Um, and she knows them. She's lived there for a long time. <laughs> different for me. I, these people turned up to the barbecue, and I'm going, who, who are you? You know. Anyway, I got to know a few people. That was great. But we're all part of communities. Okay, we're all um, involved in something where, whether it be be clubs and societies or families, and you know, you can probably name a whole lot of different networks or communities that we're part of, and they all have their different rules, and they all have their different things that happen in those communities and they're not always physical locations all right? um, because we're a culture that everybody, everybody's got a car and you look in just about every house in Mount Barker and you'll see at least one maybe two or three cars and man you should have seen our place for a while look some of our kids have moved out now but whew, for a while not only did we have the driveway full we had the street in front of our house full okay We've got a, quite a few kids and several of them drove cars, still do drive cars. It's just that, as I said, some of them have moved out. In particular, one of them's just taken two of his three cars away as he moved out, so that's good. <laughs> I've only got one sitting in the driveway now. But the point is we were made for community. Right? We cannot exist without community. We are community creatures. In Genesis chapter 1, we were created for community. Let me read it to you. I'm sure it's in the same place in, in Gary's Bible as it is in mine. Genesis chapter 1, 
verses 20, reading from verse 26, then God said, let us, oh, did you get that? Let us. God said, let us. Community, right there. I'm not getting into that subject too. We don't have the time. God is community. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. This whole thing is community. God created mankind and they were male and female. And they were both in his image. And God said, let us, God as community said, let us make mankind in our image. There's so much about the image of God and the way we are created, our very being, which is community and our need for community. We cannot exist. We are not an island. Um, and I'm, there's this lovely song, if you're old enough to remember, Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel, I am an island, I am at a rock. Yeah. load of nonsense. Then in chapter 2, verse 18, Then God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. It's a story there. Now the creation story is broken up a bit and talks about um, woman coming from man and so on. And then verse, uh, verse 23, or verse 22, Then the Lord, made, Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman, for she was taken out of man, etc., etc. But again, there's this thing, we are not alone. Okay? We, are, we are community. Just our very nature, we need people. We need somebody. And I have come across a few people who think they don't need anybody. And they're very sad people or very disturbed people, because it's not true. They do need somebody. We all need somebody. We have to be part of a community. That's the way we were made. God deliberately made us so that we would need somebody. We'd need each other. We can't. We just can't exist as an island. So that's who we are. We are community. In this, we have this, well, not, not individually, but we, are, we individually have this need for community. We must have community. We must be part of community. Another thing which is particularly important about community is that communities have a purpose. Or perhaps a set of beliefs, something that unites them as a community. Um, at the moment, I'm, I'm supervising a, a master's student who's writing about um, mission societies and their relationship to the church. And part of his theological ramblings in the process is talking about mission and church and can you have a church without a mission and can you have a mission without a church yeah and he quite rightly concludes that actually you can't a church without a mission is actually not truly a church yeah? and if you're doing mission without a church then whose mission are you doing okay these kind of questions he's, he's bringing up as he uh, as he writes and uh, the thing is Church does have mission, and mission does have church, and we have a purpose. As the commu this community, we have a purpose, and that purpose will be have a lot of similarities with that other Christian community down the road, and that one up there, and that one up there. But there'll be some slight differences because we're us, and they're them, and they have a slightly different purpose, but very similar. It comes under the same big umbrella, but it's a slightly different purpose. Communities have purpose. Communities have sets of beliefs that bind them together, and. Uh, what we need to be doing as a community 
is we need to become aware of that purpose. What is our purpose? We need to ask ourselves, what is our part in that purpose? Do we have any part in that purpose? And uh, we need to be thinking through that. How can, how can the purpose of this community, when I've found out what it is, <laughs> how, how does that touch me? And where does the rubber hit the road? Or where do my feet hit the, hit the pavement when it comes to the purpose of this community? And uh, it's an important part of community because if the community doesn't have a purpose, then I wonder if it's a community. No. The other th- another thing that's important about communities is that they grow one way or another. Individuals within that community grow because they're part of community. Yeah? They, they feed off each other. They, they learn from each other. And uh, I, I think I've... I've I've mentioned before, um, talking about another subject, sitting there in Kenya. Um, for those of you who don't know, I was developing a Bible college in, in Western Kenya and some of my students would be up there on Sunday preaching and sometimes I'd be sitting there going, wasn't listening in class, you know. And yet, the next second, that guy says something absolutely profound. God taps me on the shoulder and says, pay attention. Yeah, that's community yeah and the ironic thing is that in, that, in, in East Africa culture is quite hierarchical right? pastors are distinctly above you know, elders who are distinctly above congregational members that's just part of the culture that's the way they are just like we tend to be consumers they're hierarchical you know? and when the bishop says jump you ask how high because he's the bishop, yeah? Not because he's earned that respect like we Aussies would want him to do. It's because he's got the title. That's their culture, not ours, it's theirs. But I, as teacher, okay, in their culture, I'm considered a bit of a higher rank than the student, and yet God uses that student to tap the teacher on the shoulder and say, pay attention, I'm saying something to you this morning. And... That's community, okay? Even in a hierarchical culture, God uses community, community members to speak to other community members, irrespective of those community members' status or background or qualifications or or titles. God will tap you on the shoulder because another community member will say something and sometimes they are completely unaware that God is speaking to you through them. And certainly, you know, in the example I gave, that student preaching and me grinding my teeth because I know he wasn't listening in class, he certainly didn't know that God was speaking through him to his teacher. Yeah, But that's, that's community. That's the way it works in God's community. We support each other. We speak to each other. We build each other up. You see, the whole reason, according to Paul, that God gives spiritual gifts is to build up the church to build the community. What's really important in communities is that there is this strong network of relationships. Not everybody is close to everybody, but there is relationship, there is connection. And this is important because a community that's Well, in one sense, a community that's not growing, that is stagnating, is beginning to die. 
In the same way, a community that doesn't have good connections among the members is in danger. Just as the community that doesn't have an, a, a mission, the community that doesn't have um, an objective is also in danger. And what I want us to reflect on too, because community, good community, good Christian community, has this basis of relationships and, and connection, we need to ask ourselves, where are we connected? How are we connected? And again, I'm not, I'm not prescribing a set method, okay? Um, Pastor Gary might tell you to get in a, get in a small group. Okay. I'm not telling you to get in a small group, okay? That's, that's one way to do it. Yep, good. It's a very good way. Excellent. That's why Pastor Gary says it. But what I'm asking you to do is ask yourself, how are you connected? What relationships do you have in this community? And ask God to speak to you about, so what? And maybe you're in a really good place and you're so well connected. What is God saying to you about that situation and how you can use that? Maybe you're not so well connected with various people in the church. What's God saying to you about that? How can you, how can you respond to what God wants you to be in part of God's community? All right, so this morning I've, I've, I've thrown out a whole lot of thoughts at you, okay, about what community is. And I've been hinting the whole time that churches are in fact God's community. He's called out people... Uh, a spirit-led community is the title I would use. And so, as we, as we attempt to be that community, I would invite you to latch on to something. One of these thoughts I've thrown at you, whether it's about growth or whether it's about connection or, or whether it's about purpose or one of those other things that we talked about in community, whether it's about building each other up, Latch onto one of those things and reflect on it. And if, if two or three things is too much, don't worry about it. Okay, I, I said five things so that you'd grab one and you'd grab one and you'd grab one and you'd grab one and you'd grab one. Yeah. So grab one or two if you've got a big mind. Okay. And reflect on it. Pray about it. Ask God what he is saying to you about that and how this community what this community has to do with you in that particular aspect that you're reflecting on. Thanks, Gary. <laughs>